Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It is a new month, October 1st, 2020. In second grade, Miss O'Connell's class, we were told that if you said rabbit, rabbit, rabbit is the first thing you say in a month, it would give you good luck for the whole month. And boy, howdy, could we use some good luck this month. Today, back in the day, October 1st, 1890, Congress established Yosemite, the national park. The effort to preserve Yosemite National Park was a long one, starting in 1864 when President Abraham Lincoln signed the Yosemite Grant, not to be confused with Yosemite Sam or the Ulysses S. Grant Grant. And that bill was the very first instance of parkland being preserved by the federal government. It set the precedent for Yellowstone's creation eight years later. But unlike Yellowstone, the Yosemite Grant did not give the federal government direct control of the park. Instead, it ceded Yosemite Valley to California, as well as the Mariposa Grove, which is known for the giant sequoias. And the grant required California not only to preserve Yosemite, but also to make it available for, and I'm quoting, public use, resort, and recreation. As tourism increased, Yosemite came under threat from overgrazing sheep and the logging of sequoias. And John Muir, the naturalist who'd lived in the area for decades, took up the fight. In 1889, Muir invited the editor of Century Magazine, Robert Johnson, on a camping trip in the two alumni meadows. He showed Johnson the damage being done by sheep. He called the sheep hoofed locusts. And in his article about his time at the park, Johnson called on the federal government to establish Yosemite as a national park. And one year later, Congress did just that, bringing in the old Yosemite grant and surrounding areas under the control of the federal government. The power of storytelling. Today, we'll start with quick six headlines, and we'll have an interview with current Clackamas County Commissioner and candidate for re-election, Ken Humberston. X-Ray. It is time for today's quick six local rundown. A number of stories about police reform and protests starting us off. The Portland police will remain federally deputized until the end of the year, despite city criticism. 56 police officers, 22 sheriff's deputies were federally deputized last Saturday in anticipation of violence at a far-right rally. Deputizing local police officers lets federal prosecutors charge anyone the officer arrests with federal crimes. Federal charges often come with harsher penalties. They also mean the Multnomah County DA doesn't get to decide whether or not to prosecute. Mayor Ted Wheeler and City Attorney Tracy Reeve asked the U.S. Attorney General to revoke that federal deputization. But Bill Barr has rejected the city's request. Statements for the AG's office and the Oregon State Police emphasize that federal deputation holds protesters accountable. No comment from the Attorney General about how the Attorney General's office wants to hold police officers accountable. Another news, for those who watched the presidential debate, if we can call it that, Donald Trump mentioned he had the support from, and I am quoting, the Portland Sheriff. Now, Portland doesn't have a sheriff. Sheriffs are things that counties have. Without too much comment upon whether or not a president should know that. Here's the comment. A president should know that. Portland is in a county, that's Multnomah, and Multnomah County does have a sheriff. That sheriff is Mike Reese. Mike Reese came out with a statement that he does not support Donald Trump and never has. And Mike Reese then increased his political contribution from $250 to $500 to Joe Biden, candidate for president. Your daily dose of coronavirus data, 220 new confirmed cases, four more deaths. 555 deaths in Oregon since March are confirmed. And Oregon has continued to see a rise in coronavirus cases. The spike is likely a result of the wildfires, which disrupted coronavirus testing and social distancing standards. And the FEMA Lost Wages program has begun to pay out. The program provides 300 bucks to Oregonians who are unemployed from July 26th through September 5th. 
These bonuses in your unemployment checks are designed to make up for the time in between major stimulus packages. Those who qualify get an extra 300 bucks a week in their unemployment check for three weeks. There's no cutoff date to apply if you haven't already. In Washington, there have been a total of 87,042 coronavirus cases and 2,124 deaths from the virus. Powell's Books has named a new CEO amidst a slow pandemic recovery. The new CEO is a veteran business consultant named Patrick Bassett. Emily Powell is stepping down as CEO, although she will remain owner and president. Emily Powell said she wanted somebody with more management experience who could help the business adapt to the pandemic. Bassett is a Portland native, was a finance executive and a business consultant in Boston before moving back to Oregon in 2019. He was an advisor for Powell's for several months before being promoted to CEO. He's going to be focusing on making a clearer and more accessible website for the bookstore. Most of Powell's business is done online these days. Its Beaverton store is fully operational, while the downtown location is partially open. And in local election news, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty has endorsed Chloe Udaly. Incumbent Chloe Udaly is in a tight race against challenger Mingus Maps. While she came in a narrow first during the primary, a significant majority a significant majority of primary voters voted for one of her challengers, either Sam Adams or Mingus Maps. Udaly and Hardesty have clashed in the past. Udaly pushed for bigger cuts to the police budget earlier this summer, and Hardesty wanted more moderate changes. But Hardesty also praised Udaly's housing and transportation policies. Here's Joanne Hardesty's quote. Commissioner Udaly and I haven't always agreed on every policy position. However, our values are closely aligned. Meanwhile, Ted Wheeler has personally loaned his mayoral campaign $150,000. This summer, Mayor Wheeler raised almost no money for his re-election campaign, leaving him well behind opponent Sarah Anarone. So Wheeler used $150,000 of his own wealth to finance his campaign. Wheeler is the heir to a pretty significant timber fortune. Iannarone's campaign manager has said this violates a 2018 campaign finance limit. That law lets candidates loan only $5,000 to themselves. Whether that limit is currently in effect, though, is unclear. That said, this year Wheeler's campaign has been cited by the city's election office 13 times. Portland has halted a project to address earthquake safety. There are about 1,600 brick and stone buildings in Portland that will not hold up against an earthquake. This is an important problem. The Cascadia subduction zone is overdue for a major earthquake. This was taught to many Oregonians by a New York publication a few years ago. This was taught to students of Geology 101 at the University of Oregon over the last 30 years. And on Wednesday, the Portland City Council agreed to disband a work group tasked with updating the safety of those buildings. Amidst the pandemic and economic crisis, protests and wildfires, the city wanted to focus time and funds on other projects. We've interviewed folks who are owners of those buildings, who expressed their concern they didn't have anywhere close to the money to do any needed retrofits. The work group already had marked vulnerable buildings with placards announcing their dangers. Previously, the group was working towards retrofitting those unreinforced buildings. And this work group was the last city-sponsored effort to address the building's seismic vulnerabilities. Everybody knock on wood. 2020 has sucked. Let us not have it be the year that we have a huge earthquake. And don't tempt fate by saying next year is going to be better. Find joy in the day-to-day. Find joy where you can find joy. We will get through this. And some somewhat more fun news. Two local film festivals begin tonight. The POW Film Festival seeks to amplify the voices of women and non-binary directors. It will virtually showcase full-length and short films. The money it makes this year will benefit the Clinton Street Theater, a Southeast Portland landmark. You can find out more information at powfilmfest.com. Also, the Portland International Film Festival begins tonight. 
10 films presented, as well as talks and happy hours with local and international filmmakers. These films will also be screened virtually and at a Southwest Portland drive-in. More information at nwfilm.org. Enjoy the movies, folks. That is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Now we have an interview with Ken Humberston, a member of the Clackamas County Commission. Ken talks about the recent fires, the impact they've had on Clackamas County, and how they are coping. He also gives us background on how he got into politics and gives us a look behind the curtain of what it's like working in local government. Ken discusses the biggest difference between he and his opponent on the November ballot, Mark Schull. Commissioner Humberston also addresses the biggest priorities for him heading into the next term, why he hopes people will vote for him. Here's Ken Humberston speaking with X-Ray's Jefferson Smith. Joining us now is Ken Humberston. Ken, how you doing? Fine, Jefferson. How are you this morning? I'm doing okay. So first of all, Clackamas County, you all have been ravaged by fires, at least some portions of the county. You know better than I. What have been the impact of the wildfires on Clackamas County? Well, obviously, uh, it's been very difficult. We've had a lot of people who have lost their homes in our rural areas. But what we've also seen is an incredible outpouring of support from around the county and incredible volunteerism by uh, our citizens in the rural areas to help one another. What have been some of the biggest parts? What, explain sort of the fires and how you've had to deal with that. Well, our, you know, our job as, as county commissioners is to make sure that we do as everything that we can policy-wise uh, and politically, so to speak, to uh, bring resources to bear on these fires. So we've been very aggressive in making sure that the sheriff's department had the tools that they needed to help prevent uh, misbehavior out in the uh, uh, areas where the fires were hitting. Um, lobbied very hard to make sure that the governor and others brought in resources. And that resulted in 27 states plus Canada and Mexico sending firefighters here to help us in those fires. I'm looking now at the Clackamas County website. It lists the six fires. I hadn't realized it was six. Uh, it's got a few smaller ones. The Gray's Creek, which is 46 acres, although a 46-acre fire to me would look pretty big. The Unger Fire, 97 acres. Again, anything gets close to 100 acres would seem bigger to me than I'd like to see as a fire. Uh, but then the Wilhoit Fire, that starts getting like 530 acres. That's a pretty big fire. Dowdy Fire, 1,500 acres. That feels really big. But then we get the ones that have been making the biggest impact, let's say. The Riverside Fire, 138,000 acres. And the Beachy Creek Fire, 192,000 acres. Riverside is now 31% contained. Beachy Creek now 46% contained. Ken, have you ever seen anything like this? Absolutely, I have. Um, I was a, uh, a firefighter as a probation officer taking uh, hand crews out on uh, wildland fires uh, in Southern California at one time. Uh, I was also a volunteer firefighter. Uh, in fact, when I first moved into the, uh, a rural area uh, in Southern California, uh, we had a 250,000-acre fire that burned from Mount Laguna to the outskirts of San Diego County. Um, well, yeah, but California doesn't lot. rain like Oregon. Have you ever seen anything like this in Oregon? In Oregon, no. Um, this is rather unusual for Oregon. In fact, we were talking to the ODF folks the other day, and, and uh, one of the uh, officers had indicated that you know three or four acres – is actually uh, not unusual for them, but something like this was incredibly uh, uh, damaging and much larger than they'd ever dealt with. It seemed more about the county's role. I recognize that the fire department doesn't run through the county in Clackamas County, doesn't in most counties, but what ends up being your all's role? 
uh, the, the county itself? Yeah, or yours personally. Maybe you went and grabbed a hose and started hosing things down. Uh, no, we stay out of the way, quite frankly. Uh, generally speaking, uh, it's up to the professionals to, to do the work. Um, well, as I said earlier, what we do try to do is make sure they have the resources uh, at, at their disposal to get the work done. Um, sometimes that's difficult. Um, I can tell you that the, the ODF region, um, which includes uh, Multnomah County rural areas, Clackamas County rural areas, part of Lynn County and Marion County, uh, 600,000 acres of, of land, and they had about eight uh, pieces of uh, engine equipment to, to service that whole area. So bringing in resources from outside the area was critical, and that's how we try to help. Um, make sure they have the resources they need to do the job. One of your constituents with Clackamas County was staying in our house because they received an evacuation alert and they had to leave their own house and they were headed to a shelter and I got texted by a friend. Anyway, they ended up staying in the place we have to move into, we have yet to move into. I have to imagine there's a lot of those stories you know. Anybody in your life who was impacted by this directly? Absolutely. Um, um, The mayor of of Malala and the mayor of uh, Estacada are both friends of mine. Uh, They had to evacuate and the mayor of Estacada uh, did an incredible job of, of helping his people get out. I actually had to uh, evacuate at one point myself. Uh, the signal uh, bled over to an area, a zone two area that I was in, but we thought we had to go, so we did. Uh, we were very lucky we were able to uh, return home a few hours later after checking the maps and realizing that it didn't apply to us. But um, yeah, I, I have some friends that uh, definitely uh, had to evacuate their homes. Um, uh, and of course, we had citizens in both those communities lose their homes. Is it waking anybody up? What I have been one of the things that's been remarkable to me is again how much our cognitive dissonance, how much our uh, set points and how we see the world impact on how we interpret events. So somebody who is not a big believer in climate change, and it's hard for me to say that's a thing you believe in or not believe in. It's a, it's science. Uh, but we'll say, oh, well, what's really going on here is we should have been cutting down all the trees. If we'd cut down all the trees, then we wouldn't have any fires. Uh, you get you get a liberal looks at it and say, well, this show what's happening now is we always have fires in the summer. But now the fires are so much worse because everything's so much drier because of climate change. Are you seeing anybody wake up or is it impacting anybody's actions or way they understand the world or how we have to interact with it? You know, I can't I can't speak for how everybody else looks at it but i what i can say is that um, there have been issues in forest management that um, have have helped cause these problems and i'll give you a perfect example of it Um, the federal government funds fire uh, excuse me forestry management programs but unfortunately did not fund firefighting and so what would happen is what's known as fire borrowing where the forest service would end up having to take the money for fire uh, management and use it for firefighting. That did get changed just recently by the federal government. And so now the Federal Forest Service should be able to start actually managing their forests more effectively, um, which can include thinning and other sources of fire or types of fire management, uh, and still have funds for actual firefighting when that does occur. Um, and of course, thinning in the area where you have the urban-rural interface would be uh, extremely helpful because that's where you get the most uh, damage to people's homes. Let's talk about your race. 
let's talk about what's happening now in uh, in Clackamas County and what you're doing. Again, we're talking to Ken Hemerson. He's a member of the Clackamas County Commission. What are you most proud of over the last several years? How long have you been serving in the county commission? I have served uh, coming up on four years. Uh, this is my first term. Finishing your first term. We had a chance to talk in your first term. What are some of the things you're proudest of during that time? Well, one thing in particular that I that had been on the drawing board that really hadn't been able to get off the ground was a veterans village that we built. Uh, we have over 20 small units uh, at a facility in the, the unincorporated area of Clackamas County uh, where homeless veterans uh, can come uh, and get back on their feet. We've been able to move 22 veterans from the village into permanent supported housing uh, in Clackamas County. Um, help them get benefits, get uh, social services, mental health care, etc. Some even getting jobs and more education. And we have about 20 to 22 veterans currently housed in that facility. So that is one that we, I'm particularly proud of. Um, we've set a goal of 2,000 new housing units for uh, low-income housing, and um, we have uh, approximately 800 units um, in the making as we speak. Um, so we're obviously very happy uh, about that. Um, a personal project of mine is to expand Internet service to all our rural areas. We have too many areas where they, they don't have high-speed Internet. So our broadband service is, is um, expanding and helping people get high-speed Internet. How are you going to how do you do that? What's the best path? I know that in other countries, I mean, we have fallen behind both in cell service and in internet coverage in this country relative to other uh, first world countries, if I can use that phrase. And one of the biggest differences in, let's say, Northern Europe and other countries, they apply significant government investment. They don't just leave it all to AT&T to do. Here we've left it to corporations and corporations have decided to lay that wire where it's more profitable, where there's, where there's higher concentrations of paying customers. And that tends to be, you tend to get some neighborhoods, and that's true in areas of East Portland, that get worse service and certainly in rural areas. What's your plan to uh, boost broadband? Is it try to subsidize those companies or is it some other move? Well, I it's a combination of things. Uh, my, my view is that if we can partner with companies, with our, our um, uh, in-ground fiber that the county actually owns, uh, then I'm more than willing to partner. Um, I certainly don't want to see companies go out of business and lose their employees. Um, but if, if a company can't do it or won't do it, um, then I think the, the county should do it. Uh, and we are working on moving in that direction. Uh, our business plan is going to be worked on uh, to do that part of it. But what we are seeing as a result of COVID, it's an unfortunate side, positive side effect of the COVID situation is um, companies are beginning to recognize the importance of it. And um, I, I had a call coming through, I, I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> companies are beginning to rec recognize the importance of it uh, for education, uh, for business purposes, et cetera. And I, I think that there'll be more partnerships going forward, and we will be able to get this program off the ground successfully. So what I he think I heard you just say is that companies have been slow to do it. Now maybe they're picking it up a little bit because so many are relying so much on the Internet that maybe they'd even be able to get, uh, it might even be worth it to start streaming to the more rural areas because, heck, people are on Netflix all the time. But also, if they are not, and because they are not, you've already ha you already have cable in the ground. And what, it, that's right. 
lots of places have cable, but they're only using it for really limited, like already have fiber laid in the ground, but they're only using it for really limited purposes, right? Like maybe a little bit in education, maybe a little bit in healthcare or emergencies. Is that, do I have that correct? Well, to some degree. Let me give you an example. Um, we, we provide um, the, the actual cable to 270 government uh, agencies, buildings, et cetera. And, that's right. Uh, that's right. It's for the public agencies. Yeah, keep going. Yep, and and that's saving the taxpayer about a million and a half dollars a year in costs that would have that would have gone uh, to uh, private companies. Yeah, but the and to give you a perfect example of how effective it can be, uh, Colton School District needed high speed uh, internet uh, for their school. Uh, the company would have provided it for ten thousand dollars a month. We're providing the access, not the ISP, but the access to the internet for two hundred and fifty five dollars a month. That's less. So that's a heck of a lot less than $10,000 a month. Let's go backwards a little bit. You served on a lot of different roles in your career. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into politics. Well, it's been a passion of mine all my life. Um, you know, I'm, I'm of an age that remembers John Kennedy's uh, inaugural speech of ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And it's been sort of a watchword for me for my entire life. Um, I spent a little time in the Marine Corps in the 60s. My career was in law enforcement, uh, done uh, firefighting both as a volunteer and with uh, uh, corrections crews out on uh, wildland fires. But serving in elected office is very, has been very rewarding. Uh, school boards, fire boards, water boards, museum, economic development, city council, mayor, uh, those kinds of things um, I have really enjoyed doing, and it's and you can look back and see some of the things that you that, that you were part of accomplishing that made people's lives better. And I think that's that's the motivating factor for me is what can I do that helps make people's lives better? And what brought you to Oregon? A uh, combination of factors. Um, we traveled a great did a lot of motorcycle traveling, and Oregon was one of the places that we we did that and fell in love with the state. Were you in the movie oh, Wild Hogs? I have a, I have a vision of you with like John Travolta. And and Martin Lawrence and Tim and William H Macy just like rolling on your wild hogs. Is that do I have that about right? <laughs> uh, not quite like that. Um, Maybe I'm confusing but, you with uh, Tim Allen. I, my, my apologies. My wife and I really enjoyed it and did it for many many years. Uh, my brother moved up here thirty uh, odd years ago or more. So after I retired, uh, we decided that we were going to relocate north. And and um, about ten years after that, we ended up right here in uh, Clackamas County and. Uh, fell in love with this county um uh, you know i think this is probably where they'll throw dirt in my face as the saying goes your race was almost decided during the may primary it just barely went to a runoff when your votes dropped i think just below 50 percent what was happening in your head as the results came in that night well obviously it's 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 disappointing um you're on tender hooks of course when you're when you're watching the numbers um, and of course, anybody that runs for office looks at those numbers and, and wonders, is it, how's it going to go at the at the end of the day? Uh, it was disappointing, obviously. Um, but I, you know, I, I believe that if you want the job, you need to be willing to work for the job. It uh, didn't quite uh, work out uh, at the primary, so I've been working very hard to uh, um, talk, connect with voters, and hopefully, they will see that. Uh, I've um, worked hard on their behalf as a Clackamas County Commissioner and give me a second term. And also talk to us about the politics of Clackamas County. I mean, I know that the uh, that it is the one of the three metro area counties that rece- has received the most uh, sort of 
conservative financial investment to try to impact Clackamas County politics. That's had an impact on votes, for instance, to support or oppose public transit, etc. Uh, how have you witnessed and how, how would you just characterize right now the political dynamics in the county? Uh, Clackamas County is, is probably a microcosm of the whole state. We have some highly urbanized areas and we have some very, very rural areas. Uh, my job as a county commissioner is to reach across those uh, invisible lines and be able to talk to people regardless of their p- political persuasion. The real job of local government is to provide the services that are the most important to the citizens. So it's get out there and get the roads paved. It's put the sheriff on the street and get the crooks off the street. Open your parks. Um, uh, provide the basic social services that people like our veterans often need do those really simple, direct, hands-on kinds of services. Those are non-ideological. As a result, I'm able to have conversations with people across the political spectrum because I don't go down the rabbit hole of, of um, pure, pure ideology. Uh, that just doesn't get things done. You have to be pragmatic, and at local government, that's what you're dealing with, pragmatic problems. One of the pragmatic problems that you point out on your website that obviously has uh, an important intersection with values and what you might call ideology is homelessness. People without having a chance to know where they're going to call their bed that night and don't have a place to shower and therefore has a, have a harder time finding a job so they can afford a home. Uh, what are your priorities to address that issue in the coming term? Well, uh, obviously, we're working on the, the uh, low-income housing uh, end of the spectrum uh, with, with the uh, building community and, and, and the uh, government uh, funds. Um, there's most people that are homeless want a home. They need a place to live. They want to work. There are, of course, a contingent of people out there that no matter what you do, they don't. And, and uh, there's not a lot uh, that I worry about when it comes to that. But I do look at the ones that uh, really do need and want the help and are willing. They need a hand up, not just a hand out, I guess would be the way to phrase it, to, to use an old saying. Um, and I think we have an obligation to help those folks. Um, and so what resources we do have available, I believe in uh, uh, using to help the people who want to help themselves. I also know that making sure and doing everything that you can to help people have a family wage job so they can support themselves is part of our job. So recruiting businesses into Clackamas County that will have family wage jobs and supporting our local businesses that can afford to pay family wage jobs is an important part of our job also. Yeah, no, our our deceased matriarch worked in Clackamas County and worked with the children's division uh, in the county. and. Historically, actually, Clackamas County has invested more than Washington County in services like homeless services. What's the biggest difference between you and your opponent on the November ballot, Mark Schull? You know, that's a hard question to answer because I, I have not seen a lot of uh, p- proposals from uh, Mr. Schull and um, um, <clears throat> what he, he wants to do. I I have only seen uh, a little bit of his commentary on on uh, social media um, and it was clear to me that uh, he doesn't know how local government actually functions 
Uh, We are a policy-making body at the board level. We don't get to direct staff to do things. Uh, We set the general direction for the county and, of course, monitor the budget and make sure that we are fiscally sound. Uh, But we have a system where you have a general manager who runs the county on behalf of the board and follows the policies. Um, And so I'm not sure that uh, my opponent understands how this the system actually works um, and it works that way because that is the the uh, charter that uh, the the voters have given uh, the county and that's how they want it run well we will of course invite mark Schull to join us if mark Schull wants to be joined anything i should have asked you that i didn't ken what's the biggest priority for you heading into the next term what's the biggest reason you're hoping people will vote for you other than the fact that you'd like to keep the gig <laughs> Um, well, there's still work to be done. I want to make sure that the uh, high-speed Internet project moves forward uh, and, and is, is on solid financial ground. Um, <clears throat> we have a company coming in that is um, going to be processing cross-laminated timber in Estacada, providing family wage jobs. Uh, I believe that Clackamas County should be a, um, a, if you will, a, a hub for cross-laminated timber. Um, which would be an industry that would help uh, our rural communities uh, and uh, reinvigorate an aspect of the timber industry that I think is an appropriate one. Um, yeah, that, so it's value-added timber. Rather than treating our natural, you know, treating us just like a resource-providing country, and then shipping our uh, shipping our our water as well as our natural resource to another country, it's a place where we can actually add value and actually create some jobs. I appreciate that perspective. Where can people find out more, Ken? Well, we certainly can go to my website at uh, votekenh4ccc.com. Uh, my phone number is there. Anybody wants to ask me questions, they're absolutely welcome to do so. Uh, I'd like to. I would like to uh, finish that one thought about cross-laminated timber. Yep. That is the only building product we have that is a sustainable uh, and renewable resource. And we have a lot of timber in Clackamas County, and we have the best harvesting techniques of any county in the state. We're one of the few with our own forester, so we do it right, and we do it sustainably, sustainably, and we do it in, with environmental uh, sensitivity. So um, that is an important uh, initiative that I hope to to follow through on. Ken Humberson, County Commissioner, run for election. Thank you so much for taking the time, sir. Thanks for having me, Jefferson, and have a good day. Thank you to Commissioner Humberston for joining the local, and thank you for listening to the local, your hometown, in about thirty minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving your five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.